What's up, everybody? It's Miles Turner, the Indiana Pacers. You're listening to the Pacers Podcast. Be sure to follow at Pacers on Twitter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pacers Podcast, the only Australian NBA podcast with a bias towards the Indiana Pacers. We are in the dead of offseason for the 2023-24 season, kicking off in about two months' time now, a little over two months. We've got a World Cup between now and then. We'll have a little chat about that. Um, and some more thoughts to come because there are some paces that are playing in international play over the next couple of months. Uh, there's also um, potentially some more moves to be made. So we'll talk about that as well. Uh, Justin, I'll start with you. Welcome to the show. Um, Summer League was a really interesting experiment for the paces. We had some veterans that played a couple of games, looked really good. We had Jarris Walker come in and look really good out the gate. Um, what were your takeaways and your thoughts from Summer League? Do you think it was a positive uh, outlook for the Pacers and do you think it improved your uh, opinion of where this team is going? Uh, not really. Um, I feel like Jarris Walker was awesome to watch, but um, talking about the improvements, I mean, Matherin was a bit of a disappointment for me. I know he only played like the two, two or so games, but... Um, yeah, I expected probably a bit more from him. Um, but yeah, I guess the big news stories was how good Jarris Walker looked. Like he he looks like he could be a mini Draymond Green for us in the next few years. And, um, you know, he's kind of a stat stuffer. I don't think, Alex, we've seen someone that good defensively, although it is summer league. It was just crazy to see a Pacers player all over the court like that. But that's, to me at least, what made him more impressive is most rookies, most 19-year-old guys, even in summer league, are bad defensively. That's normally the knock on them. Uh, Nemhard was kind of an exception last year, but he was a 22-year-old coming into the league. So Jarris being this good defensively is, first of all, fantastic because that's everything that the Pacers need. But it's going to create a uh, a bit of a problem, and I think a good one for Rick Carlisle because that power forward spot is something that we've talked about a ton on this show, and fans are probably sick of talking about it, but between him and getting Obi top. And now you have two guys who legitimately, I think both have arguments for, for taking that four spot. And yeah, that, that first game against the wizards, Jarris was unbelievable defensively. He had blocks, steals, deflections, uh, just did a little bit of everything. You're kind of picking between chemistry and overall experience versus that, that upside between Obi and, um, and Jarris, not that Obi's an old player by any stretch of the imagination, but he is technically a veteran going into his what fourth season. So for me, it's it's going to keep coming up over the next few months. We're going to keep talking about this power forward spot, and we're going to keep asking ourselves what the right decision is. Um, Rick always tends to err on the side of uh, experience over youth. Um, probably the exception to that is his use of Nemhard last year. Um, in starting situations and in feature situations like the game against Golden State. But um, overall, he tends to value that experience. Um, but it's going to be a very interesting battle between Obi and Jarris across the next few months. And there's battles right down the roster. I mean, Justin, you touched on Matherin's summer league. It wasn't impressive. And he, he got a lot of shots up. And, you know, there's been a lot of a talk this week. Um, someone put out his uh, at-the-rim t- stats and went through how good he is at getting at the rim, getting to the rim and getting the foul line, which is, you know, a really important skill set for a slashing wing to have and a guy that you want on the floor. 
at the same time, Andrew Nimhard is incredible defensively, tends to make the right decision more often than not. So, you know, there's a danger in my view here that, you know, Nimhard either starts the season again at shooting guard, which is not probably what Pacers fans want to see or expect to see, or alternatively, even worse, Matherin starts the year in the starting lineup and then um, gets unseated by Andrew Nimhard, isn't there? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. And I don't want to be off the Matherin bandwagon too early. I know I've heard some rumblings within the team and the league that, you know, a lot of people were disimpressed with his summer league and things like that. But I still think Matherin's going to be a star in the league. I'd be pretty shocked if the Pacers starting lineup isn't Halliburton, Matherin, Bruce Brown, Toppin and Turner opening day. I think that's going to be the starting five. And then, like you mentioned, Adam, if, if someone's not performing, it, it could be a Jalen Smith type scenario where 10, 15 games in, you know what, you, you know, player X is getting pulled and we've got ready replacements ready to go. Nemhart can go on that starting lineup. I mean, Buddy Heald could easily start. Jarris Walker, who knows if he's bringing, you know, that defensive intensity off the bench and, and top and struggling, you can easily switch. So, um, yeah, Rick Carlisle's got a lot of, kind of optionality as Kevin Pritchard likes to say but then again I don't want this center rotation lineup what we had late last year where we're pulling guys in and out of the lineup I think you do have to have that set rotation Alex is there a danger that we've got too many guys I mean you alluded to it Justin there's battles at the power forward spot the small forward spot and there's a little bit more certainty around Matherin starting but there could very well be a battle developed at the shooting guard slot the point guard and center positions are the only ones that are set in stone in this team in terms of the starting lineup. Um, of course, competition breeds, you know, better uh, outcomes from a lot of players, but for some other players that actually has the adverse effect. They don't get the opportunity to develop because they don't get as many minutes. They, you know, drop their head and lose confidence in their own ability because they're not given the opportunity to start or play big minutes. So this is a very delicate balance for Rick. Yeah, and that's kind of the uh, issue I found this past season was Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith, they would switch basically one game. Smith would play 15 off the bench. The next game, Isaiah would play 15 off the bench. And, you know, that that's not developing one or the other. It's kind of just stagnating that position. And to me, yeah, they tried sticks at the four. It didn't work. He's a backup five. Isaiah's a backup five. I know they kind of say he can play a little bit of four, but I don't see that. So for me, that's the position that, especially because Tice is still on the roster, which like, why is he still on the team? I, I, he shouldn't be opening day, but uh, you have three guys really who can play the backup center position when you probably at most need two, especially when you have Shwebe on, uh, on this two-way uh, contract as well. So that's the position for me. And then going back to the power forward spot as well, talking about competition for minutes, uh, Jordan Nora was a guy who was really good for the Pacers this past year. And I know it's kind of that late season where everyone's putting up numbers, but he's that guy who 6'8", can shoot the ball. Rick Carlisle loves shooters. So maybe he comes in and plays spot minutes at the three or the four. Um, but yeah, I think those are the the two positions for me that have the most question marks. And I keep coming back to, to Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson because I just don't know if keeping both of them on the roster long-term is, is the best sort after watching them, I mean, they could have started at Power Forward 15 years ago, Justin, but, you know, this is no longer a league 
that um, that it was in the the late noughties where you know you had Amari Stoudemire as a power forward. There is no way known that a guy like Amari Stoudemire would start a power forward in twenty twenty three, but in two thousand six he was the best in the league. Um, Kevin Garnett is another one, a seven footer. You'd, you'd probably be starting him at center more often than not in twenty twenty three compared to two thousand and four. So. You know, Jackson and, and Smith just don't have the qualities of a starting power forward across the league. It's not that they can't play that position historically, but it's just that every other team doesn't play genuine power forwards, big power forwards anymore. And Smith and Jackson haven't really proven that they have the skill set to be able to play that position. Would you trade one of those guys before the season starts to kind of um, cement the other as the backup center? Yeah, it's a tough one. It depends, obviously, the package we're getting back. Um, I don't think you're getting anything back for either of those guys at this point, unfortunately. Like, you're probably getting a second rounder. Yeah, I mean, if you could package it with a TJ McConnell or something like that, maybe you could get some. But, yeah, I agree. If, you, if you're just trading him single-handedly, you're not going to get much. I mean, I know I'm pretty sure you two are higher on Isaiah Jackson than me. I will admit he does. He did impress me with Summer League, but I feel like that's all he kind of does is, you know, he, he can – play that level very well, but when he, you know, Miles Turner goes out in foul trouble and then Jackson's inserted in the starting lineup playing against, you know, the big boys of the league, he he struggles big time. So, um, yeah, but then again, you know, Jalen Smith was one of my most disappointing players last year. So yep. I don't know which way they go. I feel, Adam, they do have to make a call one way or the other. Um, you know, we got Tice, which probably won't be on the roster long-term. And Alex, you mentioned Jordan Nora. Like, I forget he's even on the team. I, I actually don't know his role and how yeah. he's going to squeeze into this lineup. I don't understand it. You make the same argument for Neesmith, couldn't you, as well, Alex? I mean, that's a guy that we traded for. He, you know, he played a lot of minutes last season in different parts, but between him and Nora, you just can't see a pathway to them being a significant rotational piece given we have Bruce Brown and Buddy Hield at, at the three, given we have Jarris and Obi at the four? Yeah, I think it'll be easier for Neesmith to get on the court, just given the defense. Yep. And if you look through the Pacers roster, it's maybe Nemhard, Neesmith, and Jarris might be your three top defenders outside of Miles. So just for that alone, I think Aaron has a better chance of starting. He also shot like 36.5% from three. Um, but yeah, again, it's, it's one of those things that is a good problem for Rick Carlisle to have, but there's going to be guys who are probably disappointed with the minutes they're playing this season. And, uh, and look, the Pacers are trying to make the playoffs, right. As well. So that's the other part of it is if guys aren't playing well, it's not going to be like the last couple of years where you can have a few bad games and stay in the rotation. I think that having multiple guys in the, uh, in the depth chart is good just because again, like if Neesmith has a four or five game stretch where he can't, you know, make a shot, then Nora can can play those minutes or Buddy Heald gets five or six more minutes a game. So I think that having that optionality as as we talk about is is definitely a good thing for the Pacers. I also think that when the rotations tighten up closer to the end of the season, because the Pacers are definitely going to be shooting for at least a play in spot, if not a playoff spot, um that when the rotation tightens up to eight players, we kind of already know who those guys are. It's Halliburton, it's Nemhard, it's Matherin, it's Brown, it's Heald, it's Jarris, it's Obi, and it's Miles. There's your eight. So um, for, you know, we've mentioned 
Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, TJ McConnell, Jordan Wara, Aaron Neesmith, Daniel Tice. There's six guys straight away, and I'm probably forgetting one, um, that just will not figure significantly in the rotation this season. And I want to ask about our man, Watt Iverson. Like, he's the reason that uh, Jeremiah Johnson got us on Fox Sports all those years ago. But um, his days as a pacer appear to be numbered, and I think everyone, including probably him, is okay with that because it appears like he potentially has a chance to win a title with a contender, um, particularly Phoenix, who desperately need rotational players. But, I mean, it's it's hard to see anything significant coming back the other way because the, the teams that want him, like Phoenix, have no assets left, Justin. So it's almost a, a, goodwill, de- a goodwill deal to say, see you later, um, go win a ring. Yeah, it is. It, it's a difficult one because I mean, Pacer fans know how much or how yeah how much the Pacers internally love TJ McConnell. I'd still be surprised if they trade him, even with the logjam at point guard and things like that. I'd still be surprised. But um, in saying that, we mentioned about Buddy Hield last year as well. If you're a contending team to have TJ McConnell or a Buddy Hield come in, I don't know why you wouldn't be throwing the kitchen sink at bringing those guys in to come off the bench. Like yeah. I've always said, TJ McConnell would bring that energy in a playoff. He'll he'll win you a random playoff game, McConnell. And then and then Buddy Heald will, you know, he'll shoot the lights out. And I just think if you're a playoff contender, like I always said, I think last year, halfway through the year, Philadelphia should have went after Buddy Heald. They should have made a deal with the Pacers, but they didn't. And then I guess look what happened to them. They lost against Boston due to lack of shooting. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting with McConnell. I'd hate to see him go, but love to see him flourish on another team as well and, and get that potential championship ring. Am I crazy, Alex? Or is McConnell like the perfect fifth starter for that Suns team, given the amount of <laughs> shooting and shot creation? And, you know, they've got Aiton as, as a rebounder, a rim protector. They just need a guy who doesn't need to or want to shoot, um, defends really hard, makes the right play, makes the right pass. Like, it... It's a perfect fit. He might be their starting point guard by game thirty, mate. Do they have yeah. a do they have a playmaker on that roster? No. Um, no. Yeah, and they just traded away their uh, backup point guard in campaigns. So. Look at the shooting and the shot creation they have. They don't need a point guard that creates his own shot or ne- or needs the ball every possession. They just need a guy to play his role, defend really hard, and go to the right spots on the floor. And TJ McConnell will do that in spades. And he shot almost 40% from three this season. So he's a uh, he's yeah. a spot-up shooting option now, apparently. And, and um, no one kind of saw that coming a couple of years ago. But, I mean, I I would obviously be devastated to see him go. He's been a, a beacon of culture, I think, for this Pacers team in a real transitional period the last few years. Um, he was obviously – you met him briefly, Justin, earlier in the year. Um, he'll probably be in the Barossa Valley in retirement, drinking a lot of red wine. Um, but – you know, he's he's the type of guy that fan bases can really connect with. He's, you know, a positive influence on everyone else in the locker room. And, you know, thankfully we have a guy like Tyrese that um, is the same, that can kind of logically and has taken over that role from TJ. So maybe the, the need for that cultural fit isn't as strong as it was 12 months ago as Tyrese was finding his feet on the roster. But, you know... TJ is going to be such an asset wherever he goes. He is just like the the rich man's Delavadova, Justin. Like he does everything just 
20% better than Delhi did and Delhi won a title and started for that Cleveland team. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and you mentioned I met him and my probably one, apart from Halliburton, who I spent a lot more time with, TJ McConnell was the nicest player who, you know, gave me time and interviewed him. And he, he talks, you know, very highly of, of, of John when he worked for the Pacers and um, yeah, spoke highly of Australians and yeah, real good, real good conversation. It wasn't like I was talking to an NBA player. It was more so just like shooting the shit with a mate really. Yep. And you'd, you'd hate to see that guy jump off the team, but at the same time, um, he's been a, a faithful servant of the franchise. And I think if he has the opportunity to win a ring, of course, we'd love, love to see him do that with Indiana, but realistically, given he's probably only got a couple of years left in his career, I hope that's not the case, but um, love to see him win a championship before it's all said and done and be rewarded. Um Let's move on to the World Cup that's pending at the mo- impending at the moment. It's uh, going to be played in Japan uh, and the Philippines. I think um, starting from late this month. Uh, so we've got a couple of paces that have been, or former paces and current paces that have been involved in the tournament. A couple of pace, paces that didn't play in the end or didn't get named to their national teams. Of course, headlined by Tyrese Halliburton, he's playing for the U- Team USA. Uh, he and Jalen Brunson will probably fight it out for that starting point guard spot. Former Pacer O'Shea Brissett was named for the Canadian national team. Um, but current Pacers, Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nemhard were not named for the Canadian national team. I, I have to think that it's more of a case of them wanting to get better as younger players with less experience, Alex, rather than being passed over uh, in favour of more talent. Because if you look down the bottom of that Canadian team, um, yeah, Nemhard and, and Matherin would run rings over uh, a lot of the guys that they selected. Yeah, that was my takeaway from that as well, especially because Nemhard's played for Canada before. He came here and played in those exhibition games that were in, in Sydney, I think. So, you know, he's got that experience playing for for the national squad. I think that at least one of those two, if they both put their hand up, at least one of those two, but as you said, probably both of them uh, would have made the squad. Halliburton, I think he should start. Steve Kerr likes him. Steve Kerr liked him pre-draft, so I uh, I don't know if that will have a factor on it. Hopefully he starts, uh, and there'll be a silver medal team this year, won't they? Because the Boomers right. are going to take gold. So That's it. It's yeah. it's time for the Boomers. Um, it's probably the strongest squad that the Boomers have ever fielded in a World Cup, um, led by Josh Giddy now. Um, there's hot competition for every spot on the roster. I think there's 10 out of the 18 squad players are NBA players, which is the highest it's ever been. Um, and coming off a bronze medal in Tokyo um, a couple of years ago, it's it's a really, really good opportunity for this Australian side to, you know, in their own time zone, take uh, an even higher medal. Um, but they've got to get past the USA and they've got to get past Canada as well. I mean, with Shea Gilders, Alexander uh, and Jamal Murray anchoring that team, they're going to be incredibly hard to stop. So, Justin, it's uh, I, I know you'll be watching basketball, any basketball with bated breath, but uh, it's going to be fun to have basketball in prime time, Australian time for uh, three or four weeks. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be awesome. I mean, people always ask like, Oh, you know, NBA fans and I guess the job I'm in, what do you do when the NBA is not on? Basketball is a 24-7 sport, 365 days a year. Um, you know, FIBA World Cup, um, you know, Summer League, the basketball tournament's on, big three basketballs on as well, watching and 
yep. um, filtering into WNBA a bit. But yeah, with the Aussie team, Adam, there's, there's no way. Tell me, Delvadova can't make the team now. No, right? no, no. I, I would be, I would be shocked, appalled, and flabbergasted if Delvadova made the team. I think um, Giddy obviously will start at point guard. Patty Mills will probably start at the two. Um, then it's a matter of who is Ben Simmons playing. No, Ben, ben Simmons is, is not playing. No, no, Ben Simmons pulled yet another heartstring and is unavailable for selection. But um, if if a Delavidova makes the team over like Dyson Daniels, for example, then I'll be very, very disappointed because a guy like Dyson Daniels and a guy like Josh Green, they're in their early 20s. Um, they're contributing defensively for their NBA teams. They embody everything the Boomers' identity has been over the last couple of decades and what they've tried to build. Um, so those guys, along with Tybal, along with Giddy, along with Mills, um, is, you know, a, a, just a, a lockdown lineup. Um, not Patty, obviously, but Patty's a shooter and he'll continue to, to pace the team in terms of scoring. But, you know, the, we'll have the best point guard Australia's ever had um, for a national team in Josh Giddy leading the team. Um, and we can't understate the coming out party that Jock Langdale had in the playoffs last season as well. I mean, signing with Houston over the off season and, and he will likely start at center for this Boomers team and really anchor the team uh, on that end. And you probably wouldn't have predicted that two years ago. So you've got him, you've got potentially Joe Upreith, um or Xavier Cooks or um, your man Thon Maker could make an appearance as well. Um, so there's there's so much talent in this Aussie team. And um, I think there's a lot of really strong chemistry as always from the Australians. So um, they'll be going in fully expecting to medal and thinking that they are very capable of winning it all. But then you've got someone like Luca that, you know, could could blow the whole tournament open as well. So, you know, you've got a lot of talent on the floor for a lot of different European sides. Um, and then you've got the wild cards in Canada. And Alex, the Canadians have never really done anything in international play, but all of a sudden they're trotting out this like NBA quality team um, in in FIBA play. And they'll, they'll be very, very hard to beat. Yeah, it could be one of those ones where... Uh... You know, it doesn't translate necessarily to international basketball. I think yeah. that's the problem they've had a lot. But RJ Barrett put up numbers last time he played for Canada. As you said, Shea and uh, uh, I don't think Wiggins is playing though, is he? No, he's that, not that, Yeah, that would have been a big one. And I still think, again, like our guys being biased as hell, obviously. But I think Matherin, if they had that full NBA roster, they might be my favorites for the tournament. But... But also, as, as you were alluding to with the Aussie team, it's about that chemistry. Like, a lot of these countries have played together for a decade, right? Like, this France team, they're all vets, so they know each other and they play together all the time, and that's an underrated aspect of it as well. Yeah, the, the French, the Germans, the Spanish, they'll always be hard to stop. And then you've got, you know, um, yeah, a lot of teams that you probably wouldn't expect to be good that sneak up on you, like the Italians had a great um, Olympics and, and almost beat the boomers at one point got very close. So it's, um, yeah, I hope I remember that correctly. Anyway, maybe I'm going nuts, uh, but it should be a fun tournament. Anyway, it kicks off in about three weeks. Uh, so it'll be nice to have something that's in our time slot. So apologies to the Pacific uh, coast 
of America that have to get up in the middle of the night to watch the games, but it's, it's nice to be able to sit down and have dinner and watch basketball. Um, so that is happening as well. Uh, and also just a, a shout out to Buddy Hield, who's in the Bahamas right now and is about to embark on uh, Olympic qualifying with he, a team led by he and DeAndre Ayton for the Bahamas. So that's a fairly strong team. And, um, you know, two high quality NBA players playing in um, in the Americas uh, Olympic qualifiers. So... Justin, it's uh, it'll be good to see Buddy in off-season play. He's been working really hard with our man John uh, in the off-season, and you know I think um, we're going to see a very motivated Buddy Hield because he knows that his um, his spot is up for competition, and he's always been a really competitive guy. So I think he's going to relish that opportunity to compete for the starting small forward spot and, and take it from Bruce Brown, which is going to be tough. Yeah, I reckon a good rough bet would be Buddy Hill's sixth man of the year. I reckon he'll be in that, you know, uh, Lou Williams type role where he'll get 30, 32 minutes a night. When he's shooting well, he'll still play the fourth quarter, but he'll start off the bench. I feel like he's your ideal sixth man of the year um, if all goes to plan. And I hope that he's really happy to embrace that role. I mean, I know that he wasn't necessarily happy to in Sacramento. um, And I also know that he's approaching a contract year um, but I think given his connection with Halliburton, given how well he's played in the Pacers uniform, Alex, it would be it would be really great to see a guy that is um, happy to accept the role, selfless, and puts himself in consideration for that Six Man of the Year award because that anchors every successful playoff team. Like you, you, you know, consider Brogdon's role last season, Jordan Clarkson's role prior to that, um, Jason Terry's role back in the day as well. Like it. it it's a it's a role that's filled by by hot shooters that can play you 30, 35 minutes on any given night. Yeah, and I think the other part of it is this could be Buddy's last chance to get like a four or five year deal if he plays yeah. really well. So uh, when you start getting into the early 30s, that's when you start thinking about, all right, this is my last big payday. And so Buddy has all the motivators in the world. And yeah, hopefully, like you guys said, hopefully he has a big season. Well, that about wraps us up here for the Pacers. We'll be back to you shortly across the off-season. And thank you so much for continuing to listen, continuing to subscribe. Feel free to like us and leave a comment and a rating on Apple and Spotify. Thanks for listening. We've been the Pacers. We'll catch you again next time.